0: On today's episode of Gobi Wyoming, I had the pleasure to sit down with Harriet Hagman, the candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives for Wyoming. Harriet is a fourth generation Wyomingite, experienced trial attorney, and has experience fighting federal overreach. We talk about protecting Wyoming's energy industries, how her three legged stool philosophy would protect against inflation, and her position on private land rights. I ask her how she will protect our states, specifically Wyoming's sovereignty from federal government her position on the America first plan and why Wyoming voters should pick her over the incumbent Liz Cheney. Harry and I could have talked for another 30 minutes, 45 minutes, but we were running out of time and I really appreciate Harriet stopping by our Sheridan studio. You can follow Harriet and her campaign on social media. They are on Twitter and Facebook. Just search Hageman for Wyoming. If you'd like to learn more, donate or find the calendar of events, For her campaign, visit HagemanForWyoming.com. That's Hageman, H-A-G-E-M-A-N-F-O-R, Wyoming, W-Y-O-M-I-N-G.com. This episode of Go Be Wyoming is brought to you by DYT Solutions. For custom digital marketing solutions for your brand or business, go visit my friends at DYT Solutions. Contact them at their website, DYTSolutionsWY.com. This episode is brought to you by Find Sight & Sound. For custom home or business audio and visual systems, Find Sight & Sound are your Rocky Mountain experts. Go to their website, fssavpro.com, or call owner Aaron Perez at 307-751-6585 for a free consultation. This episode is brought to you by Fly Sheridan, the Sheridan County Airport. Save time, fly local, fly Sheridan don't drive those couple hundred miles just to catch a connecting flight to Denver book your direct flight from Sheridan to Denver International at united.com
1: why not just write a letter to Harriet and see if that happens and i've you know i wrote one to Liz Cheney too cuz i'd like to have her on too but and and so yeah so uh, she called me up last week and Um, She's like, well, we're going to be in Sheridan, you know, Monday. And I was like, done. Whatever time you guys want to do, we'll make it work. So (laughs) I was pretty, uh, it was just one of those take a shot in the dark and hopefully the letters get through. So, but yeah, it uh, worked out really good. It sounds like this is kind of the perfect day for you to stop by.
2: Yes. Thank you.
1: Yeah. um, So... (sighs) We are um, we are sitting down with a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives uh, for the Wyoming at-large seat, Harriet Hageman. Harriet, thanks for coming by today.
2: Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here.
1: Yeah, um, and this is great in our studio. No one from the DYT team is here, so it's a nice, quiet studio. So um, we've got the whole place to ourselves, and Harriet uh, and I were just talking about we know Bo Bightman really well. And, uh you Wonderful. Know, really really pumping up his ego, talking about how good of a guy he is. No, just <laughs> he kidding. is a good
2: guy. I, I have been very uh, proud of, of Bo for a long time since he first ran for Senate and he took on a a huge responsibility and, and huge challenge at that time and I've always had a lot of respect for him in light of what he was able to accomplish and as he's been in the house and then the Senate, mm-hmm. he's been a very, very good representative for Wyoming.
1: Yeah, no, he, he's got great work, work ethic. You know, I met him as he was finishing his house term and then getting ready for a Senate. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. We were just talking, he kind of gave me my shot a little bit in oil and gas, you know, a couple years ago. And, um, so yeah, he's a great friend of the show. So we'll have to, um, uh, he was he he wanted to say hello by the way too. I let him know that you were coming on. So, um, you know, a couple easy questions real quick, Harriet. But uh, you've this isn't the first time you've been on a podcast. You've been on a couple different uh, shows, and of course, you've done a lot of interviews. But um, you know, you're familiar with the format of a podcast.
2: I have done quite a few and it has been, I, I just am willing to go on and talk to anybody to get my message out. Number one and number two, interact on the issues. I think it's important for people to know, uh, who, who I am. Mm-hmm. I, I look at this as a job interview Yeah. when you're running for representative, the word representative is very, very important. And that is, that means representing the people I'm, I'm really in a job interview uh, through for the entire state of Wyoming, and so whatever venue I can get on, I'm I'm doing that as I travel the state because I want people to know who I am.
1: Yeah, no, that's wonderful, and um, I'll I'll let you get on your soapbox if you want. I was like I said, I was doing my research, and um, you are from Wyoming. You're a Wyomingite. Um, are you a third generation, fourth generation? Wow, fourth generation. not not very many fourth generations. Um, and from the Torrington area, correct?
2: I'm from the Torrington area, Goshen County. Grew up at Fort Laramie. But in my family, we're now into the sixth generation. So my great-grandfather came north on a cattle trail in 1879, came north from Texas. And then uh, I, my family members, uh, my, my dad grew up north of Shawnee, Wyoming, out north of Douglas, off of Highway 59. And I was born when, after my parents had moved down to Fort Laramie. So all of my brothers and sisters, I come from a very large family, and all of my brothers and sisters live in Wyoming. My, most of my nieces and nephews do. I have 12 of those, and I have 13 wow. great nieces and nephews and almost all of them were in Wyoming. My One of my brothers branded on Saturday, the brother who has the family ranch near oh, okay. Fort Laramie. And I, I saw a lot of photographs from it. We were traveling. We were up in the Cody, Matitzi and Powell area. But mm-hmm. I saw a lot of the photographs and all of those little kids running around and oh, riding yeah. horses and wrestling calves and really getting into it. And and uh, we're educating and, and uh, the, the next generation to be ranchers. And I'm proud of that.
1: That's awesome. Sixth generation yes, right now working. That's awesome on a cattle ranch. That's way cool and um, while we're talking about it what's uh, for anyone that doesn't know what's what's a uh, what's your most favorite memory of a of a branding
2: you know you, you get up early I was just telling my campaign manager Carly about that these little kids and I did it when I was growing up as well the excitement about it you're gonna have a lot of friends and family there and when I was very young you know I, I grew up in a pretty humble household So you never had soda or anything like that around. And if you went to branding, one of the exciting things was you got to have a can of soda. (laughs) That would be something that you remember as a little kid and uh, learning how to wrestle calves. I went to a lot of brandings growing up and there were some brandings, there would be a lot of people and a lot of help and other brandings where, boy, I'll tell you what, you at eight or nine or 10 years old, you wrestled a lot Mm -hmm. of calves during the day. So it was just a matter, it's all family. You know, I'm very close with my brothers and sisters and, and my parents and my father before he passed away. And you just spend the day doing physical labor, working with animals, being outside in snow and rain and heat and beautiful days and Everything, and it's just, it's a cultural thing. It's mm-hmm. just part of who you are.
1: Yeah. No, that's wonderful. That's awesome. For anyone that hasn't been to one, go to one, or work one, um, if you want. That's hard work. It's hard <laughs> It's work. a long day.
2: But it's it's a lot of camaraderie. Mm-hmm. It's community. Yeah. And that's the that's the fun part.
1: Um, would you say that's, uh, you know, something that's been uh, a driver for you in your professional career? You know, I think we could talk about what you've been doing, Um you know, fighting federal overreach? You know, is that something that drives you, especially on the agriculture and private land side?
2: No question about it. No question. I When, when I talk to people, I tell them the story of my growing up, and that is when I was born, uh, I was my parents' fifth child, and my oldest sister was five years old. And they had just bought a ranch near Fort Laramie. They were over $200,000 in debt in 1962, which is about $2 million in today's dollars, and they had $35 in the bank. Uh, we all worked on that ranch. We learned to drive and help dad feed when we were four or five years old. We moved cows, we fixed fence, uh, we built water gaps, we did whatever it took. And and with a business like that, and whether you're in construction or you're ranching or some oil and gas businesses as well, it's very much a family business and everybody is an integral part of it. And I think one of the wonderful things about growing up that way is that from a very young age, you realize that you are important to the success of that operation and I think that everybody needs to have a purpose in life. And when you when you' when you grow up with that, and you come in after moving cows all day and you're dog tired and you're eight years old, and your dad says i've got I've got the very best crew in the world." you know that's a, that's that's a pretty neat thing to mm-hmm. know that that's that that's something that you that you're a part of with your family. So when I became an attorney, um, I didn't initially become a water and natural resource attorney, but I've always been a trial attorney. So I started practicing law in 1989 after I graduated from the University of Wyoming. So I've been a trial attorney for over 30 years. The last 25 years is really when I've focused on the water and natural resource issues. And yes, my upbringing is very much a part of that because I know what incredible stewards of the land and our water resources and our air quality that people like us are. I know what ranchers do because their most important asset is their real property. They don't make a living if they abuse their real property. And so in order to protect it, they're, they're constantly looking at their uh, the, their stubble height. They're looking at what kind of crops they can grow. They're looking at rotating if, if they do any kind of irrigating or farming to make sure that their soils remain uh, healthy and, and, and built up. And they, the same with moving your cows from pasture to pasture. I often talk about moving cows, and maybe some people don't realize why you do that, but you do that because you're preserving your, your mm-hmm. vegetation resources. And as ranchers, that's what you do. You have to be good stewards of the land or you don't survive. Right. And so when you've got a lot of people who want to attack that way of life and that business, it really gets my back up, because that's what my family has done for you know 140 years here in Wyoming. And we've done a do- doggone good. job of it. Mm -hmm. And so I, but I also, the other thing about growing up the way that I did is I was very free. I grew up very free. We didn't, we didn't have, the government didn't impact our lives much at that time. And I grew up so far out in the country. We didn't have a telephone. We did go to school. We had a bus that came and picked us up when we got old enough to go to school, but we had so much freedom and we had very few constraints other than my parents saying you got to keep yourselves alive. You know, and and it may seem kind of strange to tell a a child that, but we had that responsibility because we live so far out in the country that should something happen, it was going to be very difficult to get the kind of care or treatment that we would need. So, you know, we had a lot of responsibility as little kids, but the flip side of responsibility is freedom. Mm -hmm. And I look at what our government does now, and I look at what has happened over the last two years as we were visiting before we started this you know, we've had the government just try to come in and completely control our lives. And frankly, I find the, the government very poor at at uh, taking care of people. I don't think that the government is very good at managing our businesses or lives. And so I have really gravitated towards the type of, of law practice where I could fight back against what I think is bad government.
1: Yeah. So would you say your experience, you know, mostly has been fighting that federal overreach and protecting wild, uh, you know, state sovereignty, um, you know, what other positions may you have that other people might not know? I mean, I think that's pretty cut and dry with all your fights with, you know, against EPA, USDA, um,
2: Fish and Wildlife yeah, Service, fish, wildlife, Forest yep, Service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of that. Um, so I did that and I had my own practice in in, in Cheyenne for, for many years And a couple of years ago, I made the decision that I wanted to focus specifically on public policy issues. And I wanted to do it with a nonprofit law firm so that I could work for people for free. So I found a law firm, um, someone that I've known for quite a while. His name is Philip Hamburger. He wrote a book called His Administrative Law, Unlawful. And he's a professor at Columbia University. And he's probably one of the most brilliant legal minds I've ever met in my life. And Mm. he started a law firm in Washington, D.C., called the New Civil Liberties Alliance. And we're solely focused on on, uh, reigning in the unlawful administrative state. So there's a variety of, of constitutional things that we focus upon, but all of our cases have to be a constitutional basis, such as the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Uh, Fourth Amendment freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures, due process violations, uh, all of that kind of stuff, and and we bring lawsuits all over the United States. Okay. I live in Wyoming but i have cases in from texas to michigan to uh, virginia to colorado and we bring lawsuits all over the united states challenging unconstitutional actions of administrative agencies so my law firm was one of the first one to file a lawsuit against the vaccine mandates okay so yes i'm a water and natural resource attorney but as a trial attorney i also have the expertise to go outside of that arena so i've been involved in these vaccine mandate cases cuz mm-hmm. they're i just they're unconstitutional all get out the government doesn't have the right to do it and and we've challenged those uh, i also represent the landowner down um, in southwestern colorado where the, the epa came in and blew out the gold king mine and uh, 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 contaminated the animus river mm-hmm. the orange river seen around the world if you remember that from several years ago i represent the landowner in that case the guy who owned the mine as well as the land below the EPA came in and they constructed a water treatment faci- multi-million dollar water treatment facility on his property without his knowledge or permission. They've been squatting there for six and a half years, and they've never paid him a dime in rent. Wow. So a very serious unconstitutional takings in violation of the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution. So I'm continuing to work on that case as I'm campaigning, because it's such an important private property rights case.
1: How would you... Um how would you describe then you know if you do get elected then to continue these um these works for not just for Wyoming you know you're obviously working for that case in Colorado um, how do you see yourself working with those federal bureaucracies and pulling back that federal uh, overreach
2: well and that's the question I mean mm-hmm. that's the very good question and I appreciate you understanding what it is that I've been trying to do and why um, you get it and you understand what the what that it is the bureaucracies that have been that that have been exceeding their authority and in doing so violating our constitutional rights violating stat, various statutory provisions and things like that one of the most important things is that I will be on the water I I want to be on the Natural Resource Committee And throughout Wyoming's history, we have uh, typically always had our representative on the Natural Resource Committee because we have such a heavy federal footprint related to our natural resource issues in Wyoming with the, with the federal lands, BLM, the Park Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, Forest Service, all of those things. Right now, our congressional representative is not on the Natural Resource Committee. She's, right. she's on January 6th. And, uh, commission, and she's on the Armed Services Committee. So one of the ways that I will continue to work on these issues is, is by being on the Natural Resource Committee. And I've already talked to quite a few people in Congress about that exact issue. Uh, such as Leader McCarthy, in the event that he he runs for and is the speaker, which I don't know if he will or not. I don't know who all Mm. would be looking at doing that, but I've talked to him about the importance of Wyoming having a seat at that table. So I will do it through that mechanism, but the other thing that I've found is that a lot of our congressional representatives don't even truly understand how these agencies work and the mechanism by which they try to that they can take control of our businesses or uh, dictate what our businesses can do, the mandates that they put in place. And I have, that is my expertise. I've been traveling the country for 20 years now, giving a speech called Regulation Without Representation and talking about the unconstitutional nature of what these agencies do, in addition to the cost, which is a hidden tax. The regulatory burden in this country is about $2.1 trillion a year, which is just an added tax that we all pay. Uh, but it's through penalties and it's through permit fees and it's through access agreements and it's through special use uh, uh, permits and all of those things. All of that adds up to about a, an additional tax in this country of $2.1 trillion. I want to rein that in too. And I, I think my expertise really will be very valuable in Congress because it's going to be Congress that's going to have to do that.
1: Right. Absolutely. And that, you know, wouldn't probably just fall in the natural resource size. That could be for any, you know, like COVID, you know, COVID-19 overreaches, the vaccine mandates, which you're already working on, on those. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of running into this theme of the sovereignty, you know, and the federalism part. You know, um, how do you plan on protecting Wyoming sovereignty? You know, we've kind of talked about the natural resources, um, you know, but what other issues that you've seen across the country that, um, could benefit Wyoming, you know. And well, I love your use yeah. of the word sovereignty. Thank yeah. you for that, because
2: mm-hmm. that's the reality, is that under the Tenth Amendment, what is not specifically granted to the federal government is reserved to the states. And we lost sight of that a long time ago, and for many reasons. Uh, we have drifted away from that from that form of government, including by making it so that our senators are directly elected rather than appointed by the states. The states kind of got left uh, out of that whole discussion, if you will, and the states are not directly represented through Congress as they were 100 years ago. Uh, but that's the reality of where we are. So you have to work within that. But it mm-hmm. is probably one of the most important things I think that we can do as congressional representatives right now. What we saw from COVID and the coronavirus and Anthony Fauci and these agencies dictating a one-size-fits-all approach to every state across the country, to businesses, to hospitals, to other health care providers, to our public transportation uh, uh, businesses uh, doesn't work. You cannot treat people in Wyoming the way you treat people in Florida or North Carolina or Maine or Wisconsin. We have 50 states. that's where the power should reside. It shouldn't be stockpiled in Washington DC. We have to stop laundering our money and our power through Washington DC. We need to substantially reduce the size of the federal government in every single aspect you can think of and return this power to the states because... Number one, they're going to be much more effective, responsible, accountable, everything else in terms of dress, addressing these issues, but it also empowers the citizens, which is what our form of government is about. Um, our government is of, by, and for the people. Government only exists in order to protect uh, our civil liberties and, and to ensure that we're able to exercise them. Government does not and should not exist for the sake of government, yet that's where we are right now. And uh, like with the coronavirus stuff. I'm I, I am personally opposed to the government stepping in and deciding what is an essential business. That's wrong, whether it's the federal government or the state government. And we have found that the lockdowns over the last two years Cost a heck of a lot more than they benefited. Even Fauci, even uh, the head of the previous head of the CDC, he was on TV just this morning and I was listening to him and he admitted it. He said these lockdowns uh, were much more damaging than the benefits that they provided. If right. you do a cost benefit analysis of it, those lockdowns did not, they, that was the wrong way to go. And it was the wrong way to go in Wyoming, but it was really the wrong way to go for the federal government and Fauci to be dictating the things that they have dictated. And so this gives us an opportunity. This has really exposed the dark underbelly of the kind of the totalitarian regime that exists in Washington, D.C. And uh, we need to be making sure that something like this never, ever, ever happens again. And we need to empower our states and make sure that our state leaders are stepping up and demanding that power be devolved back to the states where it belongs and that our governors and our state legislators Take really the 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 lead in the in setting policy for the individual states the way it was intended and the way that really provides, it's not just going back to the constitution it just provides for much more of an effective form of government.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, in doing some research on your interviews you've done, you know, uh, effective government. You know, you talked about the um, water quality department of Wyoming and me being a landman. I would hundred percent agree any of the state agencies I had to work with were a hundred times better than anything I had to do uh, with the BLM or anything like that. And, um, um, if, if someone listening right now hasn't picked up on it, Harriet, you know, it's ownership and responsibility. You know, when you're, your your uh, upbringing, um, you know, working on a live ranch is, you know, is responsibility and ownership. And that ties into freedom and Um, that's where we're I think if you haven't picked that up yet I think you might as well just tune out now but um, (laughs) I do want to ask you this because you kind of you've kind of already answered it but so would you say um, you know your job as a congresswoman would be to try and secure a larger piece you know of federal money Um, you know I think it's very interesting you know um, your opponent Liz Cheney she um, originally back in whenever the first COVID money came you know she voted yes for that billion dollar bailout but then voted no on the ARPA but um, you know would your job be to per, to get wyoming a piece of that pie or just totally against you know we need to cut this fund you know we need to cut the the reckless, reckless spending
2: we need to cut the reckless spending and i'm going to say it this way one of the reasons so so i i have always believed that the the vast majority of the power in this country resides with the governors and the state legislators mm. not in washington dc and I've always believed in, and especially looking at someone like Ron DeSantis or Christy Noem, I think that they have stepped up, Because, especially Ron DeSantis on some of these issues, have really stepped up to assert that authority and that power and say, in Florida, we're doing it this way because it's what's best for Floridians. That's the way the governors are supposed to act. One of the reasons I made the decision to run for Congress was what I have watched over the last two years because of the failures and the horrible policy decisions made about locking down and shutting down our economy in response to COVID-19. And so whether it was New York or it was California or Connecticut or Wisconsin or uh, New Jersey or Massachusetts, those governors and the legislators allowed them to do it made such horrible decisions. in Wyoming, our governor put in place restrictions that I disagreed with, and I'm going to be flat honest about mm-hmm. that. It isn't for the government to decide those kinds of things. They don't have the power to do that. Uh, this is the, this is a government of, by, and for the people, and so I, when I saw what happened, the one, I, I guess. Silver lining was that I knew that there were going to be serious economic consequences to what they did over the last two years, and we're, it's it's being borne out right now through inflation and increased oil and gas costs, food, the supply chain. All of that is in, in part related to some of these terrible decisions that were made. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of our but but Congress bailed them out. I thought, at least these governors and these legislators are going to have to suffer the consequences of these bad policy decisions, and they won't do this again. And what happened is Congress stepped in and with all of that money, bailed them out. And now I look at our governors, so many governors across this country, and they're like crack addicts when it comes to federal funding. They've just got their hands out saying, please, please, please give me more money because I've got to shore up my what we lost because of our response to the coronavirus. And Congress has got to stop this. We've got to stop deficit spending we've got to stop the bad policies that are covered up through deficit spending so there have been a lot of bad policies in the last two years and since the biden administration has been in place i've never seen such horrific policies as what we see with the biden administration everything they've touched they've destroyed Mm -hmm. and i'll be that blunt about it but part of what has allowed them to get away with it is is the is the ongoing deficit spending And so when they are sending the millions and billions and tens of billions of dollars back to places like New York and California and Massachusetts and New Jersey who made these horrible decisions, we've got to stop that. It is not sustainable. We're $30 trillion in debt and as they say in physics when something cannot go on forever it won't mm-hmm. and this can't and that's why uh, that's one of the reasons why i made the decision to run for congress because there has to be somebody who's willing to go back there and make what i think are going to be some terribly difficult decisions but they have to if we're going to protect this country in the long term from my- i have two granddaughters Uh, that are nine and and six years old, and we have to protect this country for them. They're entitled to the same freedoms and standard of living and things like that that I grew up with. Uh, We don't have the right to take that away, and I see these bad policies coming out of Washington, D.C., really compromising the future of my granddaughters, my nieces, my nephews, my great-nieces and nephews, and I think it's wrong, and that's why I'm running for Congress.
1: You know, you sound like uh, our good friend Bo Biteman. You know, he talks about the same thing at the state level in regards to our out of control spending, and um, you know, which is going on at the national level, obviously. And uh, you know, Wyoming just took a lot of that ARPA funds and just paid our K twelve, and we're just pushing it off to the side, and uh, we'll see what happens next year. So it's an ongoing cycle, and um, you know, uh, you're invested, like you said, you've got uh, granddaughters here in the state. You know, six generations of the families here, so. Um,
2: my granddaughters are actually in California, uh, which makes me even more nervous, (laughs) but all of my nieces and nephews are almost all You know, my, I've got a lot of family members here. My mom is, uh, she lives in, in Torrington and she's going to be 99 this year. So yeah, we've got, we've got a lot of generations here.
1: Um, no, that's fantastic. 99. Wow. That's crazy. Um, you kind of hit on something that, uh, we're, we're going to keep talking about federal government and kind of federal overreach. Um, Something that I think is very uh, concerning, and um, is the federal government now is now promoting, you know, transgender rights. Um, and this is a quote here from I think uh, something that they're trying to push: non-discriminatory use of discipline and equal access to school programs and activities. Um, which means, you know, they're allowing biological males to compete in girls' sports. Um, you know, I.e., we can pull up uh, Leah Thomas, uh, the NCAA swimmer. Um, but um, you know, how would you work, you, you know, with um, your colleagues in DC uh, to help keep girls' sports, particularly? I think this is the most important thing: bathrooms, bathrooms, and locker rooms safe. Um,
2: I'm going to say a couple of things yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, what the 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 left does is they use a word salad to attempt to hide what their uh, true agenda is. So we can talk about equality and equity until the cows come home and everybody thinks, yeah, you know, things should be fair and things should be, it should be equal and and all of that. But that isn't what they're talking about. And so we need to start really calling them out for their effort to bastardize and distort what words mean. Words mean something. And Mm -hmm. they mean what they say in the dictionary. It's why I'm an originalist, when it comes to the Constitution, we don't get to change what something means simply by saying we're going to change what that means. Right. A woman is a woman. We know what a woman is. I, 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 you can ask a two-year-old girl what a girl is, and she can tell you what a girl is. Okay, mm-hmm. a boy means a boy. We don't need to change, and we don't need to start, and we don't need to use the word biological. Uh, it isn't about biological, a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl, a woman is a woman, a, boy, a man is a man. We know those things, and we have got to start calling out the left for their effort to change what we do and how we live our lives by changing what definitions are. As an attorney, really the only thing I have are words. I write for a living and I speak for a living, and words matter. Words matter. And we cannot allow, Webster, diction, When he, the reason he wrote the dictionary was to ensure that the words in the Constitution were defined so that they, everybody would know from then on what they meant when they wrote it. Mm. So we need to understand that words really do matter, and we need to call out people when they try to, to, to distort what they are. That, that guy, Leah Thomas, he's not a girl. He isn't a girl. We can't treat him like a girl, and it is wrong to do what they're doing we have to fight back against this nonsense because it was Voltaire who said, if you can get people to believe absurdities, you can eventually convince them to commit atrocities. And that's where we are in our society right now. Uh, This is a matter of protecting girls in single sex spaces, and whether that is bathrooms or locker rooms or swimming pools or wherever it is. I was, in 1975, I went into junior high. Title IX came into effect in 1972. The purpose of Title IX was to make it so that schools could not discriminate against girls. Let's go back to what it was intended to do. Let's go back to the real meaning. Let's go back to the understanding, because that's what Title IX is for. Title IX is not to allow men like Leah Thomas to com- compete against girls. That's cheating. It is cheating, and we need to call it cheating. He's a cheater. He cheats against girls because he's six to eight inches taller than they are. He's got arms that are about 12 inches longer than their arms. His feet, his legs, his body, everything about him. And we have to be willing to say that. So from a congressional standpoint, for one thing, we just simply cannot allow Title IX to be distorted the way that it has been being distorted. From the other standpoint is we just got to stand up and call this stuff out. We all know what this means. We all read the book when we were young. The emperor has no close. We've got to be willing to stand up, and regardless of whether people say, well, you're being mean, or you're being discriminatory, or you're not being nice, or he has suffered from, se- from sexual dis- or gender dysphoria, or whatever they want to say, we have to understand there's something really evil afoot, and we need to call it out because it's evil. It's evil to be teaching little kids that there are more than, than than two sexes. It's evil to teach these little kids that they can change something that's absolutely innate within them because we are going to be, I, I think, creating such serious psychological and mental health issues for these generations for decades if we don't if we don't uh, just uh, knock this off so whether that is an issue from congress it is from the standpoint of all of us to speak up speak out and be unafraid of taking very hard line positions on what i think are absolutes within our society
1: well and you hit on a couple things you know ownership you know i'm glad to see parents finally going to their school boards going to their state and bringing this issue up because that's I think really the deepest thing is, like you said, is protecting our girls. You know, we, we have to have the conversation about bathrooms and locker rooms. One thing that you didn't mention, which, you know, because I think the left always likes to counter after what you just said, but it's we didn't say anything about sexuality and the equality of those, uh, those people and how they wanted to identify themselves. All we're talking about is, you know, your biological, where you are, and then competing. If you want to identify a certain way, that go for it. But we're just talking about you can't. If you're a boy, you can't go into the girls' locker room. Well,
2: and, and that's right because what they're doing is there. They, there are very simple ways of doing things in this world. There really are. Boys mm. and different and girls are different. We yep. know that. In fact, this entire discussion is only confirming that further. You know, a- actually putting a, a a real strong stamp on that right there. Uh, but but. Why is Leah Thomas? Why is that guy from Pennsylvania? Why are his feelings more important than all of the girls that he's cheating against? Why is why are his feelings? Why is his quote equality or equity more important uh, in in walking around in a girl's locker room? dude making girls uncomfortable why are his feelings more important to them what we've always done is we've always said okay there's boys and there's girls and this is the way that we're going to separate them under these kinds of circumstances in single sex environments locker rooms showers bathrooms that sort of thing this is all common sense this isn't rocket science what we're doing is we're distorting, we're, we're changing what words mean in order to further a political and social and psychological agenda that is very, very destructive to our society. I'm going to say it again. If you can convince people of absurdities, if you can make people believe absurdities, you can convince them to commit atrocities. And that is where we're headed with this. Because what we're doing in terms of the drugs, the long-term implications and medical side effects of the drugs that they are using on, on young people uh, in this issue. We're going to see horrific problems with bone density and increases in cancer, increases in psychological problems. This, there are so many side effects associated with this. When you take an aspirin, there's a side effect. You give a little boy or, or a 13-year-old boy estrogen, there's going to be serious side effects. We're not even talking about the long-term medical complications associated with these social decisions that are being made, and that's wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's, um, as Jordan Peterson says, too, about words, you know, is or truth. And when we start just, you know, disturbing truth, then now, you know, that Voltaire quote is awesome. But yes, um, that, no, that's great. So... You know, just to kind of go back, you know, your solution would be we need to revisit Title Nine, push that.
2: Title Nine says what it says. Mm-hmm. And what the reason that I brought it up in terms of my own age is that when I was in seventh grade, I happened to have I, I happened to have a class that grads what I that I went to school with. We were all very, very athletic girls. And so we happened we were probably one of the very best classes at up to that point, because all of us said, had, I mean, we played basketball and volleyball and track, but when I went into junior high, we didn't have a girls basketball team. Well, because of title nine, we got one. Mm -hmm. And the the, participating in sports, I was in basketball for four years. I was in track for three years. I did volleyball. I, I was in FFA. I got to be in FFA and the ag classes and learn how to weld and learn how to build things, the pig barns and, and do all of that because they couldn't say, no, you're a girl, you can't go into those classes. Right. I was better in those classes than home ec. I wasn't very good at home <laughs> ec. Uh, but I was really good at those ag classes, and I really enjoyed that, and because of Title IX, I had that opportunity. But it was an equal playing field from the standpoint of that I welded, the boys welded, we we worked on the pig barns together, but we didn't play basketball against each other, because we couldn't. The girls were not good enough to play against the boys. That's why Title IX was put in place, so that they couldn't discriminate against us. And now here we are, 50 years later, and it has come full circle, where it is back to boys beating girls, and we're all saying, you know, that's not a bad idea i disagree with that i think it's wrong and i think that it is a distortion of title nine it's absolutely a distortion of the intent of title nine all we need to do is enforce title nine the way it was intended
1: yep 100 percent. oh that's wonderful um 100 agree um here's a kind of changing gears here harriet sorry my questions got all jambled here but uh how would you determine when to carry out uh, the will of Wyoming citizens? You'll be the Congress, you know, hopefully you're the uh, Congresswoman, I should say that, Uh, even when it conflicts with your personal preferences um, and when uh, you might have to make a judgment call based on, you know, whatever the current situation is in in retrospect.
2: Well, and I know what you're getting at, which is the situation with Liz Cheney. Mm. And where I think that where I would answer that is, the reason that I talk about being from Wyoming, and and I, I'm, I am so glad that people are moving to Wyoming. I think that if we were to do the census today as compared to two years ago, we'd have substantially more people in Wyoming because people are fleeing COVID states. I welcome all of them. I'm, I'm excited to have new people in Wyoming, young people coming to our state, starting new businesses, uh, all of those things. But the reason that I talk about my history and I talk about my family and I talk about uh, what I've done in Wyoming is because I am Wyoming. So I don't know that there would be that conflict Mm. because I have a dog in this hunt. I have a dog in this hunt because the decisions that I make in Washington, DC will affect me and my family directly. My opponent it doesn't matter if nobody in her family ever steps foot in the state of Wyoming again, because she lives in Northern Virginia. She can make decisions that are contrary to the best interests of Wyoming, because she doesn't suffer the consequences for those. She can take her. She can uh, not be on the Natural Resource Committee, because it doesn't matter to her. It matters to us. It matters to us. And an example is that the Natural Resource Committee in October passed a bill out that we refer to as the dirt tax that would essentially uh, wipe out mining in the state of Wyoming because the taxes would be so high with that one bill that you wouldn't be able to mine anymore in the state of Wyoming. She wasn't on the committee to fight that. It didn't matter to her because she lives in Northern Virginia. I live in Wyoming. And when Wyoming prospers, my family prospers, but when Wyoming suffers, my family suffers. So it's very, very personal, and so every decision I made will be made looking through that lens. How does it affect me and my my fellow citizens? How does it affect people in Rock Springs? How does it affect people in Gillette? How does it affect people in, in Big Piney and Pinedale and, and Bighorn? because those those decisions also affect me. So what I can tell you is, and what the commitment is that I will make is that my decisions will be in the best interest of Wyoming because that's who I am and that's who I represent. And I have to come back here and be accountable. It has been almost two years since Liz Cheney has interacted with the Republican Party in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. She has not been back here being accountable to anybody. She doesn't do town halls. She doesn't go around and meet with people. I have committed that when I am in Congress, I will do town halls. I will come back to Sheridan. I will go to Gillette. I will go to Newcastle. I will meet with the people. I will talk to them about what is going on in Congress, what my, what our priorities should be, what the issues are, how to address them. That is what a representative does. That's our form of government. It's just that she isn't uh, partaking in that form of government. But for me, it's exactly why I'm doing this.
1: Wonderful. Love that. Well, and so my next question is, um, you know, I think that really speaks home to, uh, the grassroots conservatives of Wyoming. Um, but you know, we do have to admit that there are some, maybe some moderates, some independents. Um, you know, I think, <laughs> I think the liberal, you know, the word liberal has really gotten a nasty word, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, liberal actually probably would be considered a Republican now. Um, but, um, You know, when independents and moderate uh, voters, you know, are looking at you or Liz, uh, you kind of just hit on a couple key points of why they should look for you. But how can you bring them together and say, hey, look, we got common goals, uh, not just in Wyoming, but across the country. Um, You know, what's the difference between uh, you and Liz Cheney?
2: Well, one of the things that I think is important from that specific question of Mm -hmm. why should Democrats or independents or liberals even consider voting for me is because I believe in the individual. I don't believe in collectivism. I believe that people should be making their own decisions for their own for their own families and for their own benefit. And so from the standpoint of the classic liberal, which is, I think, what you're talking about, I believe absolutely in the, the First Amendment right to freedom of speech, freedom of religion. I don't want to shut you down. Even if I were to disagree with you, I would never want to take you off the air. I would never want to prohibit you or prevent you from speaking, even if it's something that's gibberish or it's something that's... There, there was a green man that visited me in the middle of the night. Okay, cool, was it fun? I, I mean, you know, yeah, my right. <laughs> view of that is, is let's have the more robust discussions. So from the, 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 the classic liberal, I believe very strongly in freedom of religion. I believe very strongly in our Second Amendment rights, our right to keep and bear arms, our right to protect ourselves and our families. One of the things that I've done with the, the work that I do with, with the law firm is uh, challenge surveillance. Why do we want the government in our lives the way that, that our federal government is, 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 has embedded themselves in us to where they, they want to tell us uh, almost everything we do every day? And that is so contrary to our form of government, and it shouldn't just be Republicans that believe that, it should be it should be Democrats too, it should be liberals too. If you really believe in the vision of our forefathers and you truly believe, and as I do, that the Constitution is one of the most incredible documents ever written because our forefathers recognized something incredibly important, which is that our natural rights come from God, they don't come from the government, and as a result the government cannot take them away. Our government cannot take away our right to due process. Our government cannot take away our right to own private property. Our government cannot take away, uh, again, our freedom of speech and our our freedom to be secure in our homes. We don't want the government to take those away. And whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, that should be a sentiment that is innate within you. And so I, I think that Democrats should agree with me on the vast majority of things. Perhaps they believe more in big government and and, and government dictating a bit more than I do, but uh, I think that there's common ground there, and I think we should all be working for the same thing, which is, number one, taking power out of D.C., number two, bringing it back to the states so that the people who are making the decisions are more accountable, accessible, and responsible, and responsive to us. Uh, And I I actually think that our Constitution is as robust and as... as, um, I don't know, is as strong as it could be in protecting the things that are really important to me and should be important to most citizens. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. Um, No, that was well said. And I think um, this leads me into we've kind of already hit on a couple of these. We talked about inflation and I think, you know, that that personal responsibility and, you know, limit that government. Um, on multiple shows, you've mentioned the the three legged stool. I love yeah. that. Um, energy, food, and housing. Yeah. Um, talk about those three, and and kind of you know taking away that government overreach. How that would help? Um, you know, especially Wyoming. But you know, right now this whole inflation issue. It. Yeah,
2: we're seeing it right now. So what I've always said is that our prosperity in this country is based upon the three legged stool of affordable housing, affordable food, and affordable energy. And right now, all three of those are completely out of whack because of government intervention and too much government, both in relation to what happened uh, during the coronavirus and then more recently under the Biden administration with uh, the very first things of him doing coming in and attempting to disrupt our fossil fossil fuel industries as, as much as he possibly could cancelling the Keystone XL pipeline, cancelling other pipelines, uh, blocking our ability to explore for and pursue uh, oil and gas development on federal lands, all of those things have completely distorted the market and they've dis- dis- distorted what's going on in this country. But you increase the cost of energy, by, by it, it, you will automatically increase the cost of food and you will automatically increase the cost of housing. I just personally think that there's a special place in hell for people who uh, intentionally adopt policies that are designed to increase cost—the the cost of housing, food, and energy. Because it is it, those are those are almost basic human rights in the standpoint that we all need them to survive. And why would you ever want to put a government in place that their policies are to make them unaffordable? Why in the world would we want people representing us who step in and say, you know what? I'm going to make it so that it's impossible for you to fill your ga- your, your car with gas. If you make less than $30,000 a year, I'm going to take every extra dime you have and make you buy gasoline. I'm going to make it impossible for you to buy fresh, fruit and vegetables, why would you ever want a government in place that would adopt policies that would do that? Yet this administration has. These are true, and I mean legitimate and, and, and uh, specific kitchen table issues, because every decision they've made has affected our kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Uh, the woman who came out, and I think that it was in one, of I don't remember which publication it was, one of the Bloomberg publications, and she says, well, if you make less than $300,000 a year, yeah, things might be a little rough on you. Maybe you can let your dog die and a few things like that so you don't have to pay for the food or the surgery and that what a cruel human being, what a shockingly cruel human being that woman is and must be that that she's like, yeah, well, you know, some of these policies might hurt. Let's kill Fido. Uh, It's, it's, it's so shocking that we have people in positions of power, um, or that think that they should be telling us what to do, uh, who would take that kind of an approach. Yet that's what this administration has done. So, you know, what's the, the instability on the world stage? Uh, the fact that Russia had the money, the wherewithal, and the power to invade Ukraine is because of failed energy policy in the Western world for the last 30 to 40 years. We've been on a mutual suicide mission, the Western world has, between the Kyoto Protocol and the, the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, our leaders have been, have been taking us down a road that really hurt people. It hurts individuals. It hurts their abilities to keep jobs. It hurts their ability to put food on their table. It hurts their ability to raise their families as they see fit. That's not good government. That's bad government, and we ought to get rid of it.
1: Do you do you believe, um, and this is a very hard question to ask, so let me, um, do you believe the administration, um, one, do you think they speak for the whole uh, Democratic Party? Um, and do you believe that they... Do you think they know that this was going to happen, that they know these policies are going to happen? Um, And then have you spoken to anyone in the Democratic Party, you know, outside the administration, you know, in, in Congress, in the Senate, that is there some ground within the party? So I guess I'm asking kind of two questions. You know, do they know that these policies weren't going to work and do this? And then do you see some common ground with maybe some publicly they don't want to say?
2: Well, publicly is where they need to do it. Because if they disagree with this, these it, these policies, they need to stop them. It's the Democrats that need to make sure that their voices are being heard if they don't agree with the idea that the government ought to jack up our, our energy prices. And I know they want to blame Putin and they want to blame all these other things. No, it goes back to what Biden did. And if they don't like it and they think it's wrong, then they're the ones that need to speak out. Uh, they need to stop making excuses and trying to, to gaslight us into believing something that isn't reality. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Anytime you make something scarce, it's going to cost more, and that's what they've done. As far as, as the reality and whether they knew that these would be the consequences, I think Ayn Rand said something along the lines of, you can ignore reality, but you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. And that's the that that's just anybody with a lick of sense knows. Okay, we're going to stop the pipelines, and we're going to uh, uh, make it difficult to explore for, and we're going to impose all kinds of regulations on our oil and gas companies. But I think everything's going to be okay. Uh, they didn't believe that. I think it's intentional, and that's why I say that I I think there is a special place in hell for people that they're that they have intentional policies of increasing the cost of energy, food, and housing, um, and. You, you they, they, had to have known, and I think it is to stop us to try to find a way to wean us from fossil fuels. But all it's going to do is to destroy our economy and hurt the most vulnerable among us. It isn't feasible feasible to to go uh, entirely um, to to go on on uh, uh, solar power and, and windmills. First of all, you'd have to mine every square inch of the world in order to get sufficient uh, rare earth minerals and other things that you need in order to construct those kinds of facilities. Second of all, we know that they don't work 24-7, so you're going to have to have the backup of coal and natural gas. Uh, Third, we know that the cost would be absolutely astronomical. We'd be covering such a huge swath of our country with windmills destroying the viewscape, killing birds by the thousands. I mean, these are all things that they know, but there has to be some kind of an ulterior motive as to why they would go down the road with these really horrible policy decisions. And again, that's why we've got to have people back in Congress who are willing to just absolutely focus like a laser beam on stopping these horrible policies that have the uh, potential of just really devastating our economy into the long term.
1: Yeah, Well, and I think I saw an article recently uh, regarding, um, you know, the the author thought that the renewable energy would be cheaper right now. And then lo and behold, well, energy and, you know, extracting has become cheaper. So now they're actually more expensive. And I'm like, man, I don't know where you've been the last 10 years. But, you know, because like, as you mentioned, you got to build all these windmills and the solar panels. So anyways, it was kind of funny. It was comical. Well, (laughs) how
2: how do you how do you fly an airplane with solar, solar panels? Right. You know that's just one example. But another one is is that th- th- in order to uh, manufacture things, there are certain times that you absolutely have to have a resource that is heated through uh, coal or natural gas because it's that it's such a high it burns at such a higher temperature that right. that's actually how we manufacture mm. things. We can't do that. Here's the other thing: a lot of people don't realize a lot of our medical devices are made with petroleum products. Yep. What are we going to do? Do we really want to go back to the Stone Ages? Do we want to become a third world country because of these failed energy policies that make absolutely no sense whatsoever? Go to a third world country. Tell me how they protect their environment. Right? They don't because that's not where, where their priority is. They can't. It's a matter of subsistence. Go to Sudan. Go to these countries that 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 uh, that, that don't have the finances available to protect their environment and mm-hmm. tell me what is, uh, what they look like.
1: Yeah. 100%. Um, well, and I do want to, uh, same thing in that same thread you were talking about. I think the bad policies and you mentioned something also that is it, these policies have been going on for years. It's, has it hasn't, I mean, uh, the administration has done some obvious things the last couple of years that have made it bad, but there's also been over the last 30 years that, um, we've continued to do, as you mentioned, like the Western mm-hmm. world with Russia, um, Regarding foreign policy, um, what how do you see um, yourself working on um, the, the interests of the U.S. and then the, in Wyoming? Um, if you're on any of those committees, you know, you've mentioned your priorities to get on the Natural Resource Committee. But, um, you know, from a foreign policy standpoint, what are what are going to be your priorities?
2: Well, we, we have to have an America first agenda. We really do. We, we've got to do some rebuilding in this country. And I very much was aligned with President Trump on his America First agenda. One of the things I talked to him about when I met with him last August was the fact that he made us energy independent. And uh, in the last year, we've gone from a 4% surplus of oil and gas, producing oil and gas to a 4% deficit just because of the horrible policies of the Biden administration. So the America First agenda is absolutely critical. And one of the things I was talking to a general recently, and he was a, he's a strong advocate for the America First agenda, and we have to understand that the world has changed in the last 20 years. And it, it was right after a report had come out of, I think it was Baltimore, Maryland, where 90-some percent of their juniors and seniors in high school were not even reading at third grade level. You know, that, that, that's unacceptable. That is unacceptable. And if we cannot fix things like that in this country before we start spending all of our time and effort on, the again, the Paris climate accord and those kinds of things, then we're failing our citizenry. We're failing those students. We're failing those families. We're failing those cities. We're failing those communities. And we're failing our country if we've got kids graduating from high school who cannot read at grade level and cannot function. And that's what's happening with a lot of these failed policies, these failed social policies where they're focusing on equity and transgenderism and all these things, but they're not focused on math. They're not focused on history. They're not focused on reading. We, I believe, strongly in the America First agenda, and that's what we need to be implementing. A strong America makes for a better world. And that is just the reality. We have to get control of the border. We have to secure that border. We have to stop the illegal immigration. We have to, t- to take stock of where we are in our inner cities. We have to address the crime rate in some of these cities. We have got, and I these are all state and local issues, and I get that, but we have to get back to those kinds of bread and butter issues because that's what protects our citizens. That's what makes sure that we can actually realize the promise of this country yeah and so that's that's how i view it
1: mm. yeah so the american for america first um would you would you say that's isolationist you know i think a lot of people attack that plan and said it was isolationist um you know what do you say to that
2: well, it isn't isolationist. I'm not suggesting that we don't engage on the world stage. We absolutely do, but right now we're looking at um, how many billions of dollars are we looking at sending to Ukraine because of our failed energy policy, giving uh, you know Russia the power and the and and the belief that they could do what they've done. Uh, Would we won't secure our own border, and that's a border war that's, that's what's going on is mm. one country invaded another one. Uh, but the other issues, the reason I talk about this is because we lost over a hundred thousand people in the last year to fentanyl, uh, overdoses. Mm. Uh, all of that's coming across that border and it's coming from China. We had people here in Wyoming get arrested for three pounds of fentanyl in the last month. Three pounds of fentanyl is enough to kill every single person in this state If we don't take care of those kinds of things and make sure that that kind of stuff is not coming across our border, we're not going to be capable of working and helping on the world stage. If there is a hurricane in Haiti or there is an earthquake in Ecuador, we are the most generous people and the most generous country in the history of this world. We really are. Americans are. Um, We are kind, we are compassionate. It has been shown shown and borne out uh, over the decades, and I'm not suggesting that we don't do that. But if we collapse from within, we become incapable of doing those things as well. And so we have to make sure that we've got a strong America, that we've got good monetary policy, that we are educating our kids, that we are not trying to break everybody with outrageous uh, oil and gas prices and things like that. It's not isolationism, but it is a recognition that there are issues in this country that need to be fixed and if we don't start shoring this up and fixing them we're not going to be able to go help in Haiti or Ecuador when something like that happens.
1: Well, in in, in another interview you've mentioned we were talking uh, you were talking about this issue as you also mentioned uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better and that's kind of what you're alluding to is we got to fix our problems and it, it it's going to be tough and we're going to have to struggle along through it but then as you mentioned then you know hopefully we can come and be that light again and help help in those situations
2: i am very optimistic and i'm optimistic because as i travel the state of wyoming and also travel out of the state and meet with people people are fed up with what's going on and that's the first step to recovery (laughs) is admitting you have a problem right (laughs) that's the first step yes we have a problem Uh, and that's, and, and, and people across the country are recognizing, oh my gosh, what happened to our schools? Oh my gosh, what happened to our, why am I paying $5 a gallon for, for diesel? And, and, and those things, uh, understanding and, and educating yourself and learning. And that is what is, is going to help, help us to then move to the next step, which is, all right, let's regroup, let's figure out how to fix it. And then we'll go to the next step and and the next step and the next step, but we have to recognize that there's the problem and then we have to start identifying ways in which we can get ourselves out of this this quagmire that we're in. I do think that things, things are bad right now. I've been saying for years that things are going to have to get bad before they get worse. We're experiencing it. Mm-hmm. We're experiencing it. We cannot grow food at $5 a gallon diesel. A lot of people don't they're not understanding that we can't grow food at $5 a gallon diesel. It's breaking our farmers. Their their uh, fertilizer is 10 times what it was a year ago. Right. You can't grow food when you can't get fertilizer. So there are th- these bad decisions that have been in, that have been ongoing for the last 30 to 40 years. The the chickens are coming home to roost but that's why we need strong leaders back in Washington DC who've got some ideas of how to fix it, how to push back against this nonsense and actually try to uh, try to try to, to to chart a pathway to get back to where we do have that America first agenda where we can start fixing our inner city schools, where we can start putting the money towards those kinds of things rather than just basically subsisting.
1: Yeah. Um Wonderful. Well, okay. Two last questions here. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like we're on a clock over there. No, just kidding. Um, um, <laughs> this wasn't on the list. So if you don't want to answer this, but um, I feel like you're going to want to, cause you're a lawyer. And um, I always love talking about this cause I think this is fascinating. So you're an originalist, I think, uh, cause we just had a new uh, Supreme court justice appointed. And um, I'd love just your definition of a definition again of originalist in regards to that, to the, to our highest court, and why, um, you know, uh, her name is Jackson, correct her last yeah. name. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, where she stands on issues and why that could be um, could be alarming. But um, I think first we just need the definition of originalist versus, um, I guess, liberal judge. I don't know how you would. Well, the you way
2: an ever evolving constitution. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one of go, the yeah. reasons why the United States has been as stable as it has been for as long as it has been is that we have had a con- the same constitution in place with some changes, right. some much needed changes uh, in the late 1800s, especially. Um, we have had, a, a, the, a, the, a, the constitution has existed for almost 235 years. And there are a lot of countries, the countries that you see that are the most destabilized or that have so many of the problems with poverty and, and uh, a famine and, and uh, civil wars, they, they they don't have constitutions that are long term. So every day that you wake up, there could be a coup, and you don't know what the laws are going to be. Well, what are laws? Laws are the way that are the rules of the game. When you kick a when, when you when you make a touchdown, you get six points in football, and that was the same last year, and it'll be the same this year, and it's not going to be well. But if you're wearing a red jersey, you get nine points. And if you're wearing a green jersey, you get 47 points. Everybody knows what the rules of the game are. And all the constitution is, it's the rules of the game. So if you get picked up for speeding at 65 miles an hour in a 30, and I get picked up for speeding at 65 miles an hour in a 30, we're both going to get the same punishment. Mm -hmm. It's equal protection. That's one of the rules of the game. The government can't take our property without paying just compensation. That's a rule of the game. I have a First Amendment right. I have a First Amendment right to speak my mind. I can say what I want to say, even if it hurts people's feelings, even if it makes them feel bad, right. like I did for that Thomas guy or whatever his name is that swims mm-hmm. for Penn. I'm sure that he probably wouldn't like me right now, but I get to say it, I get to call him a dude. Yep. I have a First Amendment right to do that. That's a rule of the game. What originalists say is the words as they were written at the time the Constitution was written They had a meaning. That's why Daniel Webster did, or the Webster did the dictionary, because those words had a meaning, and those those words mean the same today. So due process means due process. It doesn't mean we're going to give you due process unless we don't like you. It means due process. And so an originalist believes that the Constitution says what it means and means what it says, and we don't need to interpret it away. We don't need to find ways around the Equal Protection Clause. We don't need to find ways around the Second Amendment. We don't need to find ways around my right to to exercise uh, my religion. Um, Someone who believes in a malleable constitution says, well, you know, Harriet, that probably wasn't a very nice thing to say. So maybe in 2022, the First Amendment means you can say what you mean unless it hurts somebody's feeling. Right. Wrong. Wrong. No wrong that's not the way we interpret the Constitution. So for someone like me I look at the Constitution and that's it, it that's just what it is For someone like just now Justice Jackson and really her most disturbing answer for the during this entire process was in response to Ted Cruz's written questions, she doesn't necessarily recognize natural rights and what natural mm. rights are and what is significant about our Constitution and it was the first, a document of its kind in world history. And our forefathers, they believe when I talk about the First Amendment and the Fourth Amendment and the the Tenth Amendment, because it was the Bill of Rights at the time, those rights are innate in us from the moment of conception. They come from God. They do not come from the government. And because they don't come from the government, the government cannot take them away. Right. So I have private property rights. The government cannot take those away other than in in compliance with the Constitution, meaning they have to pay me just compensation. Mm -hmm. And so she doesn't recognize that our rights come from God. She seems to believe that they come from government, and so that there are constraints that the judiciary or the legislative branch or the executive branch could impose against us. And so that's a very disturbing um, situation we're in, to have her elevated to the Supreme Court, and I think it gives you an idea of the leftist mindset that they cannot win in a debate so they elevate people like her so that she can take away our rights. Interesting.
1: Yeah no that was that's a great because I think a lot of people probably don't know one that definition of originalists you know and so that's um, and then the written questions I didn't know that so that's even more fascinating about that uh, selection I guess she was appointed so. Um, well Harriet one last question um, you've kind of already hit on it from right when we started but what does the phrase go be Wyoming mean to you? You know, what does Wyoming mean to you? Um, I'm excited to hear what you say on that. This is a lot. That's the last question. <laughs> uh,
2: go be Wyoming is, uh, I, I think that be, it would mean different things to different people because we're all individuals. And I think I've said it a couple times that I believe in the individual and I believe in individual rights, individual thought. I don't believe in collectivism. Our form of government is not a collectivist government, and that's why the Bill of Rights were so important and why our forefathers would not ratify the Constitution until the Bill of Rights were attached because uh, they believed, and in, in the citizenry uh, back then believed that, again, those rights were inherent within them, that it was the individual in the United States, not a collectivist uh, a- approach to governing. Uh, so go be for Wyoming for me, is exactly everything that I've talked about today. It is my family. It is my history. I'm very proud of my history. I'm very proud of the fact that my great-grandfather came to Wyoming 140 years ago. But I'm really excited about where my family is going in Wyoming for the next 140 years. I look at all of the babies. We've got another baby. I've got another great nephew that's going to be born in June. I look at all of our our my great nieces and nephews and my granddaughters. Uh, you know the the one year olds, the three year olds, the five year olds. This well, that's about the uh, the end of it. And then my <laughs> my granddaughters, I, I I am excited by what they will be in Wyoming, what they will do in Wyoming, and how they will continue this cause. So for me, Go Be Wyoming is thinking about what my family's going to be doing 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, and how I'm going to be able to watch all of that play out. I think that's really exciting. I love my state. I love my country. I, I, we have all of the foundation. We have everything we need to restore our form of government, to get back to the basics, and to for people in this country to really... Uh, have the kind of lives that our our forefathers envisioned.
1: Wonderful, we're just gonna end it right there. Harriet, thank you for your time. I know you've got a busy schedule. Uh, You've been putting the miles in across the state as anybody uh, should if you're driving across the state. So um, I really really appreciate it and uh, best of luck to you on the
0: campaign trail.
2: Thank you so much, this was fun.
0: You can follow Harriet and her campaign on social media. They are on Twitter and Facebook. Just search Hageman for Wyoming. If you'd like to learn more, donate, or find the calendar of events for her campaign, visit Wyoming.com.